And I had come into that meeting because I was scared to death. And I was coming back from a really, really ugly long period of relapse. And um, she came up to me and she reached out her hand and she said, hi. My name's Katie, you look like you're new, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but what it did for me is at that very moment, I felt okay. I felt okay, I can stay, I can, I'm not gonna bolt out the door. Somebody actually greeted me. And I always think of that when we read the, the responsibility statement that uh, because that person reached out their hand to me, I'm able to reach out my hand to others. So I would like to introduce Katie. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Katie. And I got to set my little timer here. Um, I have a few things I want to say before I start. And um, I wanted to thank um, Donna, I think, <laughs> for calling and asking me to do this a few months ago. So I've had some time to think about it. And then for uh, Monica for setting up the great dinner we had last night and getting um, the room that and the gift bag together for us. That was really wonderful. Thank you. And um, I think that's that part I'm going to mention. Um, gosh, I, I know that if I just tell the truth, it's going to be okay, and that um, what I say today is coming through uh, my higher power, who, when I first got sober, I chose to call um, Great Spirit because I just couldn't use the word God, and higher power just seemed too weird to me. But um, now I use the word God, but I still have the picture of this entity that I would look at every morning um, for my higher power. And um, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, I grew up in a, um, it was a really nice home. It was um, my sister and my mother, and, um, we were in a place called Manhattan Beach, California, and I basically say I was born there because I was a day old when they took me from the hospital and got me there. But um, when I was probably three or four, we moved to Albuquerque with my dad um, and mom were still together then, and he was working for Beacons, and we moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And something happened there, and my mom and my dad were divorced, and my mom brought my sister and I back to Manhattan Beach, California, where I lived until I moved to Eureka. But what happened in um, Manhattan Beach for me was I was a very rebellious child. I did not want to do what my mom wanted me to do. I, um, I, I just, I was, a, basically an alcoholic without alcohol in me. I just <laughs> reacted that way. And I, my mom um, worked hard to support my sister and I. Um, she had a house for us, she bought clothes for us, she fed us. So we, we, I didn't lack for anything. 
I had everything I needed. Um, my mom had um, this cabinet and it was like a little bar. And when she would get home from work, she would fix dinner, fix a cocktail, drink that during the news, we'd eat dinner. And that's all I ever saw my mom drink. But I decided that um, I needed to uh, tap into that bar and I would pour myself whatever I would pour and, and I would fill the bottles back with water. And um, I, I remember doing that. I don't know how old I was. I don't know what it tasted like. I don't know what it felt like, but evidently I needed more because um, throughout high school, that's what I did. I just got more and more and more, and I, every time I could get alcohol, and this was the 60s, um, there was the drugs too. So of course, whatever I could get, I had to have, and I, there was a place, a restaurant called The Wooden Shoe in Manhattan Beach, and there was a parking lot across the way, and a bunch of us would hang out there. We're in high school, but there must have been someone old enough to get us alcohol because we would hang out over there and drink alcohol, and then I would go home and, and uh, probably pass out. I don't, I don't remember. I, I often call myself the blackout kid because I don't really remember a whole lot and so it's kind of strange that I get up here to try to tell my story when I haven't a clue sometimes about what it was. <laughs> but I'm going to do my best. But another part of that was I would um, say I was going to go to the library to study, but then I would find the same group of friends. And there would be the alcohol. And um, you know, eventually it would come to the point where this alcohol deal was a little bit too much, I guess, for the people I was hanging out with, and I would wander on down to the beach and pass out under the pier. And um, I, more, uh, more often than not, would be found by the police, passed down under the pier, taken down to the station, and my mom would be called. And, and this continued on for, until I was about 18. Um, about that time, my mom, um, I, I see it now, she seemed kind of weak at the time when I was growing up, but I see that she was probably a pretty strong woman because of what she did in the 50s, got a divorce, for one, took on, used her maiden name when she was married, and then uh, when I turned 18, told me either um, get out or follow the rules. Well, in our book it tells us, it gives us that dilemma. Well, that, that dilemma at the time was I got out because I, um, I needed to continue on. And so I just continued on. Tequila was my drink of choice. And uh, most of the time I'd just drink it straight out of the bottle. Why bother with the lime, the salt, the cup, whatever. It was, the bottle was really simple for me. And so I did that. And it just continued and continued and continued. And I, my, um, my dad had offered me a chance to go to the University of New Mexico. And I went there for a couple of days to check it out and realized that I, I wouldn't be able to do it because the whole time I was wanting to drink, but I didn't. 
drink when I was there because I just didn't feel like do, doing that in front of my dad, and I remember how hard that was. And at the same time, my sister was coming up here to College of the Redwoods. So College of the Redwoods with my sister, no parents around, that was the choice at that time. So I moved to Eureka. And uh, I, I, I felt at home right away because they have those mail slots in the doors of the place I was living at. And one day, a baggie of weed came flying through, and I thought, <laughs> I'm home. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I, I came up to Eureka and brought everything with me, and the drinking continued. And I've always been a bar drinker, so, of course, Vista Del Mar was my bar in Eureka. So, and if any of you know that bar, you know what that bar's about. It's, it's not a very good place to go for... Uh, what I consider myself now a, a lady, but back then I don't know what it was. So um, I, uh, I finally finished what I could do at College of the Redwoods, got my AA degree, and uh, decided to go to Long Beach State. Well, I got there and this, that school was way bigger than the town of Eureka. So one more time, I, I, I moved, and I moved up to Eugene, Oregon. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but all of these were geographics. And I was just trying to move to get away from me, because the tequila, which I was calling to kill me at the time, was really doing that. And I, I, just, I just needed to get away and stop. So I got to Eugene, and again, I found my people, and um, just, just couldn't stop drinking. I was uh, interviewing this man for a job one time, and uh, on his application, it said he was um, a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, or something to that effect. And I said, oh, do you have to quit smoking pot? He said, yes. So I kept drinking, because <laughs> it, it made sense to me. And uh, I finally um, decided I wanted to finish school and get my art degree. So University of Oregon was right there, so that's where I went. I had planned to go up to Corvallis to uh, get a degree working with, um, I don't know what they called it, gerontology, that's what it was, because I had worked with um, a great aunt. And I, and I really liked it, so I thought maybe that would be my calling. But um, the University of Oregon was there, so I went. And I, I had always uh, sewed my whole life. I, I had a babysitter who taught me how to sew when I was eight. And so I started earning a living sewing. And when I was eight, um, there was a model down the road who needed clothes to fit her. I made those, and I made stuffed toys for a, um, um, it was like a, I don't know, it was a store in, in Manhattan Beach and they sold the toys. And then I worked at a clothing factory making clothes and I also um, just realized, I don't think I started this, oh, I did it. Okay, um, I, I, um, I also was sewing um, upholstery. So I've pretty much made a living sewing, um, odd, odd uh, 
clerical jobs here and there, but I've always enjoyed sewing. And so I found a job in the work study thing at the University of Oregon in a costume shop. Well, one of my first colleges I went to was um, a fashion institute of design and merchandising. And I had um, seen Edith Head and said, I'm gonna do costumes someday. So here I was probably, I don't know, 20 years later um, doing costumes. And my professor said, you need to go to Ashland, Oregon. You need to go to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. I hadn't a clue what either one of those were, so I found out where they were and went down there and applied for a job and got a phone call and said, can you be here and on April 15th of 86? And I said, sure. No real interview or anything. So I did that job, and what I figured out with that job was this was kind of like the only thing going on in Ashland where I had a skill that I could do. And if I screwed this up, I don't know where I was going to be. So um, also while in Eugene, I'd, I'd met this man, which I, decided, I thought I would not do because I knew it was going back to Ashland after my first three months at the Shakespeare Festival. They had asked me back, and I, I had gone up to Eugene to finish a course, and I met this man, and it's like, oh my God, now what am I gonna do, him or the job? <laughs> well, I didn't have to choose between either one because he said, I'll just move down there with you. <laughs> so he did, and um, I eventually, uh, he and I, we bought a home, and then we got married. And um, by this time, when we bought the home, I had had a taste of Alcoholics Anonymous for, oh, about a year. And um, I was going, we were going to meetings together and we, we were, um, you know, staying sober and, and sort of doing the thing, but not really. I don't remember having a sponsor. I don't really remember the steps. I think I was just not drinking and going to meetings at that time. But also, um, there was a few times I smoked pot and um, I, I was realizing, you know, this doesn't feel good. I'm feeling like I want to run into the trees and go into the creek along Dead Indian Road where I lived which was similar to what I was feeling when I lived in LA. I wanted to drive into those pilings on the freeways. And um, so what happened was I went back into um, a meeting that I had gone to that I had not felt welcome at. I had um, gotten myself a seat, was told I couldn't sit there. I had to move. And I don't know why I didn't just get up and keep walking out the door, but I didn't. I grabbed a seat and sat. So when it was time to go back to Alcoholics Anonymous, um, I went back to that same meeting. And at two months sober, there was, um, it was birthday night and there was a man named Don Pila there who was giving out chips. And so 
he gave me my chip and I told him I was scared because I had to leave in a couple of days to fly to Mexico to get my dad and drive him back to the States. And he um, told me that everything's going to be okay. And that was over 31 years ago. Um, my sobriety date is June 28th of 1988. And um, from, from that time on, I, I um, did what you guys asked me to do. Um, I got a sponsor and we started working together and I don't know how far along we were working together but she said to me one day I just can't sponsor you anymore and I thought I felt devastated but she had also suggested go ask this woman Iris so I did and uh, so when I asked her she said how long have you been sober and I said oh 18 months because that was the truth and she said well there's something not right here. Well, that was because I'd been smoking. And um, so we got the truth out of me and we started working the steps. I'd go over to her house once a week and we just started reading the book. We, we um, were doing what I do with my sponsees now. We just read the book and we work out of the book and do the steps. But shortly after this, woman came into my life as my second sponsor I found out why that other one couldn't work with me anymore and she had committed suicide um, it just she just couldn't get it but I was grateful she suggested who she did because I got a really good foundation in this program um, with with my sponsor um, we're as as time went on this man that I bought the house with and eventually married. Um, he worked for the Forest Service and he was out in Eastern Oregon doing survey work. He was a surveyor and they were flying over to Eastern Oregon for the last time for the year on this particular job and the plane crashed. So at barely, just a little over three years sobriety, um, my husband was killed. and. I, I was devastated. I really didn't know what to do, so I called my sponsor. And she's never home, never answered the phone. She was home, answered the phone, and was right there. And, and so I just stood out in the orchard of this um, farm ranch that we had, it was a rancher trying to turn it into a farm that we had bought, and just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. Um, you know, why, why me, why me? Um, but, you know, it talks about our experience, strength, and hope, and through that experience of that loss, um, people in this program have come out to me and either shared their experience or asked me for my help. And there's a woman in this room that um, used to call me her grief sponsor because I was able to guide her through a similar experience with her husband. And um, so we, you know, we continued doing the steps and doing the steps. And at one point, um, I, I sort of fell away from that sponsor. Her husband became ill and she couldn't quite be there. And um, so I found another sponsor. And 
and we, um, you know, we just started from the, um, all the way from the beginning, just because I find that if I work with um, a sponsee and they've been in the program a while, I like to start at the beginning so I can know them. So that's where she started with me. And um, you know, I, just, I just keep growing and I keep growing and I keep growing. And it's because I, I uh, work the steps the best of my ability and I, I um, have a, um, a morning meditation that I do. I, I um, have a, a nice sunroom at my house where I can look out the trees and the birds and I can sit there and meditate. And I read my literature and I read um, my homework. My, I'm, I'm going to be starting a 10th um, and 11th step workshop here soon. So I can sit and, and read the homework, although I read the homework for that one over here at the coast, which was nice instead of in my sunroom. But I do, when I have assignments, I sit in there and read them. And I, and I um, write my gratitude list. I, I do a gratitude list every morning now. And um, I find that that really helps because it puts the day in perspective for me. It's, when I think I'm having a bad day, I just need to get grateful for what I have because um, I know that if I wasn't sober today, I probably would not have what I have today. And um, I, I was counting the other night the amount of friends I have before I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, and it was five. And those I got after high school. Um, my high school reunion, my 50th high school reunion is coming up in about a month, and I'm not going. Um, it, and the main reason is it's in a bar with a bunch of people I don't know, and there's drinks and dessert. And I thought, dessert I can handle, the booze I can't, and there's, there were a couple other things happening that weekend, so I chose one that I th will f fill my heart and soul much better than being with a bunch of people that, yeah, I went to grade school with them, but I didn't really hang out with them. I went to junior high with them, didn't hang out with them. Went to high school with them, didn't hang out with them. But the, um, the people that I'm going to be, or the person I'm going to be doing this adventure with instead I hang out with them um, and um, I find that that I get choices now and so I'll, it was hard to make that choice but I made it and before the choices the booze made the choice for me they uh, took me to the bottle took me to places <clears throat> I really don't ever want to go again. And uh, um, I am grateful that I learned that I can um, make choices. Sometimes hard, but you know, they're choices. And um, I also found out that um, I am constantly working on my sixth and seventh step. I, you know, I think my character defects are all gone and then one flares up. And so I get to keep working on them and 
What I try to do is just not repeat the same stuff over and over again. Um, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes I do repeat the same stuff, but I'm aware of it now. I'm aware of when I do things that hurt people, aware of when I do things I shouldn't be doing. And, and um, I get to, when I discover all that, that I've been doing these defects, I am able to, um, with the 10th step, make, make um, amends and apology. And um, for me, that's you know, one of my favorite steps is the 10th step because I don't like to use it, but it's there if I have to. And um, it, it's all through this program that I've learned how to do all of, of that stuff the things that I get to do today, the things I get to interact with you today. And I was talking about my five friends. Well, I'm thinking half of Medford's here. <laughs> and and I, when, I, when Donna asked me, I thought, I am not telling anybody I'm doing this. <laughs> but that, that's not how it happened. And I'm grateful that you're all here. I appreciate you coming. And... Um, uh, I don't know how many of you are um, new out there, but I hope that you'll be able to hear something this weekend, read something in our literature that makes you want to stay. Because if you can stay, you're going to find a life beyond your wildest dreams, something you can't even think about now in sobriety if you were to make a list of uh, what you want. Um, I know I wouldn't have written down all the things I have now, you know, in my first years, first year of sobriety even. It just, it just keeps unfolding. All the good things just keep coming and coming and coming and coming. And when there's the things that happen, like when my husband was killed and when my parents died and when friends in Alcoholics Anonymous die. You know, I don't have to take that drink. I learned early on, no matter what, we don't drink. And, and that's what I um, remember every day. No matter what happens today, I don't have to drink. And, and that really um, carries a lot of weight for me. Um, I, I just want to, like I say, welcome the newcomer and hope you can stay. And um, I, I, I am, you know, the, the conference is called Admitted We're Powerless. And, and that is so true for me. I am powerless over anything. And I know for sure I'm powerless over alcohol and that my life is unmanageable when I drink it. And um, I am going to close because with a little thing I read in um, Daily Reflections a few days ago, because for me it just tells me what I need to do on that daily basis, no matter what, to stay sober. And it's if you have the Daily Reflections, it's on page... 276, September 14th, and um, it's called Vigilance. 
We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. And that's on page 33 of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then further it says, today I am an alcoholic. Tomorrow will be no different. My alcoholism lives within me now and forever. I must never forget what I am. Alcohol will surely kill me if I fail to recognize and acknowledge my disease on a daily basis. I am not playing a game in which a loss is temporary setback. I am dealing with my disease, for which there is no cure, only daily acceptance and vigilance. And that is so true for me. And thank you for listening.